0: All right. So, um, thinking about what you just said there, um, let me get to there. Um, did, did everybody get a chance to download the reformed app or have it as any, everybody made a pursuit to try to be able to access catechisms? Yeah. Um, the Reformed app, is there any questions about that, how to get to the Heidelberg Catechism and to like those particular numbers that we looked at? Is anybody having any problem with any of that? Okay. So if that's a no, um, let me just spend a few moments asking because these, these ones that I sent um, actually fit with our text, the, I believe, I don't have my notes in front of me, but I believe it was um 83 to 91 or so. Um let me see if I can get that in front of my my eyes there. Messages Zoom. Um so um 80 86. Is that the 80 80 83 to 91? Yeah or 86 to 91. All right, yeah, 83. So so they put in the Lord's Day, and what's neat about the Heidelberg Confession, and all of them are very similar. But what's neat about it is that it does. That's probably what got my attention initially, um, as we were starting the year, is the fact that it does it in what they call Lord's Day. Um, it, it's fifty-two Lord's Days, and when you know, not I don't think this. I don't think this app that you have actually has the Lord's Day. I could get you some of that if that was needed, but I did put it in the text that these Lord days were day 31, 32, and 33. And they were grouped like that. Um, Day 31 was 83 to 85. Day 32 was 86 to 87. And day 33 was 88 to 91. And so when you think about, I just call it paragraph thought or concept thought. When you think about it, if, if we were to look at 80, let's say like the first one, 83 to 85, um, it has a flow with it. It says, what are the keys of the kingdom of heaven? And the way the app, you know, if, if you look down under the catechism, it should maybe when you first open it, not sh- show the answer. So you have to hit the button that shows the answer. And then there's a place where you can hit the button to, um, well, they'll actually already show you the scriptures that they have down below to try to support the reason they answer the question that way. But the first three says, What are the keys of the kingdom? And it explains that to be um, in the answer, it explains it to be the preaching of the holy gospel and Christian discipline towards repentance. And so those are two simple things that it's focusing in that this. Um, opens the kingdom of heaven to believers and co- closes it to unbelievers. So kind of the basic idea that if you're going to be defiant and and walk in, in, in sin and um, and not repent, that, that that the graces of God are going to be closed up to you. Um, also, if you're not hearing the preaching of the gospel or you're not sharing the gospel, that in those kind of things that it's going to be closed up to you. Um, so, So if we're going to have a good fruitful relationship with the Lord, we have to focus in on the gospel, we have to share the gospel, and we have to be honest with where we're at with our sin, and walk in repentance, and pursue sanctification, and those kind of things, so just big overview, 83, then 84 does a little more explaining, it asks the question, how does the holy gospel open and close the heaven, and 85 does the same thing with the second point, how is the kingdom of heaven closed, um, and opened by Christian discipline. And I just feel like in, in, in our, our topic, our theme, I believe that that the preaching of the, of the gospel and church discipline and calling people to repentance is something that the church has kind of fell asleep on or has fallen away from. And that, that bringing attention to these things will be helpful for us to getting back to our first love and getting back to the truth of what God has for us and his purpose for the church. If you start in day 32, 86 and 87 says, since we have been delivered from the misery by grace through Christ, without any merit of our own, why should we do good works?" So it's just a simple question. Why do we do good works? Which drives us to ask is what's the heart behind the matter? What's the reason why we do what we do? Bless you, um, Paul. And then 87 just kind of is the flip side of that, but this is a Lord's day. This is a day that you would ponder these two questions, but it says, can those who be, can those be saved who do not turn to God from the ungrateful and unrepentant ways? And he uses Paul's language there, and in the answer, it says, by no means, scripture tells us no unchaste person, no auditor adulterer, thief, or for covetous person. And so he gives us the scriptures to take any of those points deeper that we would want? And then the last one kind of gets to some of the questions that Mike asked. He asked the question, what have we died, died from? And I think as we go through the next few weeks and we get these in our system, these um, these the, the rest of these passages that we'll be looking at, I believe we'll get be a better and better answer that question, what have we died from? But he says, what is involved in general repentance or conversion? So these are two, fundamental key concepts to the church um repentance without repentance we're not being sanctified we're not conforming into the image of christ we're not um putting to death um our sin um but he also says or convert conversion he's putting the two together so to be born again to be a new creation there's mike let me let him in and um and so um so he says the answer for this one for eighty eight is two things: the dying away of the old self, and the rising to life of the new. Good morning, Mike. Morning. We morning, were, just, yeah. That's that's all right. We're just um, most everybody had their app, but, but we were just looking at those questions. We you know just kind of skimming over those Heidelberg Catechism questions. And um, we had went through day day thirty one and thirty two, and we were on day thirty three, which is uh, number eighty eight. What is involved in genuine repentance and conversion? We had talked about you had asked, you had mentioned last week, what did we die from? And the answer to this question says two things um, that is involved in genuine repentance or conversion is the dying away of the old self, and the rising to life of the new of the new, and it. It gives some passages there. And then, you know, this is considered a Lord's day. And that's what I want you to under, to picture is that they group these somewhat for you in um in, in, in concepts. So um, so w- when it goes from here, it says dying itself and rising to new life. Well, the next one just unpacks that a little bit more. What is the d- dying of the old self? And it tries to define it and use scripture to support that. And then at nine, he says, "What's the rise into the new, uh, uh, new rise into life of the new self?" And then the final comes back to works a little bit. What are good works? The answer, real quickly, is only those which are done out of true faith, conform to God's law, and are done by God's glory, and not those based on our own opinion or human tradition so these um, you know we kind of blitz through them maybe a little bit this week if that's how you did it but um but but these are meant to kind of ponder and also ponder or think through them think through their answers think through the scriptures they give think through other scriptures that come to mind as you try to answer these things if someone was to ask you these questions um what are good works as in this last one How would you answer it? What scriptures would you add? How would you change the answer that they gave? Now, keep in mind the answers that they gave were were from a long time ago, almost 500 years ago or 400 years ago. But keep in mind that it was a group of peers that came together that had the heartbeat of evangelizing the world and wanting to disciple their kids and they came up with something that wasn't super spiritual. It was simple and practical and something for someone to grasp. But it was systematical where they could have, a, they were looking to have a hope and encouragement that they could disciple new believers and their family to, um, to, to carry the faith to the next generation. Um, and so when we get um, away from these things and somewhat we kind of get disorganized and we get kind of random And we don't um, we don't nail down some of the things that need to be nailed down. So when you're reading these confessions, they're they're sort of they they may sometimes be considered basic, but but they're they're making sure that one, you have a good, simple, solid answer with scripture to to support it um, on those particular topics and that you can pass that on to someone. That's maybe a new believer or a young child or whatever have you and do it in a systematical way where they have the tools available to them to grow and thrive as a new believer. And, um, and I do think it's a good refresher course. Um, maybe as you go through all the questions, you may just have something that you're weak on, or maybe you never were really taught about that particular thing. And so it gives you some direction there. I like the idea that as we are doing this together, if you come to a question as you're reading a catechism, it's just simply you say, Hey, look, how bird catechism question 86. I don't, I don't get this one. What do y'all think about that? I'm wrestling with that. So it gives us a framework as we're reading through this, we can simply, um, you know, um, have, have dialogue on that. So Anybody, any questions, thoughts, or comments on what you were able to explore with that? Yes, no? <laughs> Did y'all not do it? Did you do it? Did you get anything?
1: I dove into it last night. It, I mean, it's good. It's It kind of gives you a... Uh, uh, baseline, and um, I would say it, well, I would say it's more fundamentals than anything,
2: right? Hey, like that, that voted balcom um video that you sent out, it's these questions are so important. Um, sometimes we're maybe not thinking about them until we're approached with them, but it, it does sharpness in the sense that it gives a scripture to some questions that people may ask whenever we are evangelizing um i I know for even the westminster shorter we've we've tried to start committing those to memorization for our kids and you know some of the words they don't even know but if they if they get it as mike says in their knower um you know our hope is that um as we teach them the scripture we can kind of go back to these questions and say hey this is you know, this relates to this question that you that you learn to memorize. Uh, so it does help. It gives you a structure and it um, it helps you answer some uh, some basic questions and even some more difficult questions about the Christian faith.
0: I heard. Uh, so I've been doing the Logos Bible software and I watch some videos some training videos because it's kind of complex software and just to better understand how to utilize it. One of the things the guy that, that does the teaching always talks about is a study was done and it says that if you read your Bible for 15 minutes a day for four, four days out of the week and you develop that habit that statistically, um, all kinds of good things happen as far as you becoming you know, faithful. And so like this is pretty simple. It doesn't take fifteen minutes a day. It's something that you can kind of just read two or three questions um, every day as a habit, whether in the morning or the evening, and just when you lay in the bed or while you're getting dressed at work or something like, or whatever in the morning, just think about it. Just just let it let it let it be kind of like that coffee pot pot idea, that that's just the care egg that you put in for that morning, and just hit the button. And let, it, let that water run through and just take some moment to think about it. All of us have some times where we're just kind of randomly thinking, just um, let this be something that directs that. And I think that's why when you read 15 minutes a day on a regular basis and have some kind of pattern to it, um, I don't think your reading should be um, completely random. Um, you know, you should be trying to read a book or trying to read for a purpose or a topic or something like that. Um, but as you read that text that word should be something that that your your physical your your fallen nature body can't process all sometimes at one time and so it's actually working on you and um, and I think that's why important reading scripture every day carving out 15 minutes every day or at least four to, four times out of out of out of seven out of the week is it's creating that that sanctifying process so, any other thoughts on that before we move to to Romans?
3: Hey, just real quick, um, I just realized I, like Shane, I, I loaded this uh, pretty late last night and started looking through some of the questions, and it really wasn't making sense. But I see why now. I didn't change the catechism at the top. You can Are change you it, it. I was in the boys and girls <laughs> catechism. <laughs> yeah like these questions just don't line up with what you had sent out but I, I didn't realize that you could change it up top so yeah so yeah you if have, you're like me i'll, I'll just uh, you know change it to get on the same page with everyone else yeah so you have
0: pretty much at the bottom left you got catechisms and read and um you know the catechism button is is kind of an interactive for the catechism but read is the actual whole document um so yeah, you'll, you'll see it there. So, but I think these, these, these three days here um, this section that I, I put out are helpful to go along with the Romans text where we're, we're dealing with, it is dealing with repentance. It is dealing with why we do works. It is dealing with um, that. So just keep those, um, you know, in your knower and, and on your radar the next few weeks and um just let you know just share if 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 it if it begins to add some value but it's more of a framing you know than anything that that you're thinking about these different things the importance of sharing the gospel the importance of repentance um and that thing so all right so looking at romans um i am going to let me see what i how i shared um all right, so it, on the text, I, I look, I put um, kind of an ABC section, and I would just say, um, we'll start off, we'll read a little early, you know, I know we read this bit of passage last week, but to um, keep the, the question in context, I'm going to start off in 620, and um, these verses, these three sections are three or four verses, um, and we'll read you know, the section from 20 to 23 in um, chapter six. And then we'll look at the question in seven one and read the three verses that kind of are in that little paragraph thought. And then we'll move to the C um, paragraph thought of four to six. And um, there's there's some things that I'm, I'm gonna try to skip them at first. Some, some of the, the challenges of of chapter seven, one through three. Um, And but we will come back to that. But but I want us to the reason I want us to kind of focus in on what a chapter A and chapter C are um, paragraph A and paragraph C have to say is because I believe both of them give a little bit more clarity where there is some lack of clarity in that little paragraph B section. So I think these three paragraphs is important to see how they work together. Um, to, to clear up any confusion that may be found in, in paragraph B. And so, like I said, I'm going to read A. We'll kind of go through B kind of quickly and hit C, and then we'll kind of just come back and look at any maybe challenges or questions or confusions that were established from, from B. I know just going into it, I asked the question, who is the woman in the story, which would be paragraph B, um, and who is the second, who is first husband, the second husband. So those, those are kind of the, the things that we'll kind of closely look at and, 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 and um, try to dissect a bit. So starting in um, Romans 6, verse 20 says this, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you were now ashamed? for the end of those things is death. And so this is a paragraph about the negative. And in 22, he moves kind of to the positive. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. And then the famous Roman road verse there, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I know Jeff pointed out that, you know, wages and gift is something different. Um, So here we do see the concept of what we earned was the wrath of God from our sin. But what we get as a gift um, is eternal life um, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, Some of the key words of that a paragraph there is, he says in the negative section of it there, he says, for when you were slaves of sin, and then he says, but now that you have been set free from sin in verse 22 and have become slaves of God. So he's talking about this transition from being an actual slave to sin, bound by sin, sin reigning over your life to being set free from that. He also uses the word in um, fruit in verse 21, he uses it in the sense of, but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Um, you know, he had said previously to that, he said, he said, when you were a slave of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So you would get the, the sense that someone is, um, is not ashamed of their sin until the Holy spirit comes and convicts them of their sin and shows them a new way. Um, so, um, he, um, so, and and then he says in verse, um, after the slaves of God in verse 22, he says the fruit you get leads to sanctification and to its end eternal life. So this idea of, of being a slave and then based on, you being free, sort of, we talked about the core or the inner, inner person or the heart of, of why you're doing what you're doing matters. He's talking about that you you once had a fallen nature that had was reigning and had dominion over you, that your choices were consistent with who was kind of in your core being Lord, and it was producing fruit for death. And now that your eyes have been open. You're ashamed of the things you once did, um, and so he's 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 in this paragraph. He's setting this framework, and he's going to do the same thing in B and C. He's just going to re-say the same things. He's just going to say them in a different way from a different angle. So let's jump in to uh, to the question of today and the um, and the B paragraph. So in seven one it says, "Or do you not know, brothers?" that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So the the picture here is pretty simple. Um, it's 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 kind of a transaction of a woman moving from her first husband to her second husband, and it states out the fact that if that man doesn't die, she if she leaves him without him dying, that she's guilty of breaking the laws, considered an adulteress, and cannot really be. Um, join with the second husband without um, um, the, the consequences of breaking the law. Um, but if the man dies, then she's free to, to marry another. And so this is the scenario he, he states there. So the reason I spent some time on the A paragraph or the first paragraph, because this paragraph, this story should be very consistent um, to the intention of what Paul is trying to speak about is he's trying to teach his audience or help the un- audience understand the severity or the clarity of what they were when they were bound by sin and now what they are now in Christ. And so we'll hit verse four real quick. Um, likewise, so this four is probably the most explaining or clarifying um. Of of that previous story, it says, "Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, um, so that you may belong to Him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God." So let's just pull out a few things from that verse. Um, so, likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another to him who who has been raised from the dead so as you unpack that that text you know who is the one that's been raised from the dead I'll back I'll back into it's probably the simplest way but who do we say would be the one that's been raised from the dead that would be Christ yeah so so would we make the connection that he's the second husband yeah okay and so then before that he's saying so that you may belong to another so this is the idea this is kind of pulling from why he told the story he's saying this woman cannot be joined from a, let's just say a bad husband to a good husband or from the first husband to the second husband, unless he dies. And so, so you can see, will we agree that the purpose of the story is that, um, when he says, so that you may belong to another, he's talking to this audience and he's saying so that you can, you can belong to another, you can be released from one husband and joined to another husband. Um, who would we say is the woman here? I'll, I'll ask that question.
1: I'm
0: the
2: one. We We're the women woman.
0: Okay. So now the hardest one. So, well, there's two hard ones here, but from this point, I, I think we've said, well, he says, likewise, my brother, you also have died. So we'll come to that part next but but it says to the law through the body of christ so who's the first husband the law okay and so back to mike said did you did you say what you did was your question what died is that what your question was last week
3: yeah what died when i died
0: so what's a little bit odd or difficult maybe potentially about this Text, and I think we'll get into that as we move on, but, but which, you know, where is, is it the confusion of the death? Because the, an, an analogy is saying that the, that the, the first husband has to die. And so, but then it's saying the conclusion that the first husband is the law. And so that's where it, it takes a little bit of thought to, 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 to wrestle through this um we sometimes say that we die to ourselves, which when when we're saying that we're usually saying we're dying to our sin nature um we've got these two wills or these two forces which we're going to move into that in the next little bit of text in seven but sometimes we're saying we've got to die to to say to the temptation of satan the temptation of the world temptation of our flesh we have to crucify that we have to die to ourselves so that the new life that is in us can rule and reign and that we you know that we truly are a slave to God and we're not still a slave to sin so sometimes that's what we're thinking about when we're talking about death but in this picture as you're following the intent and you're trying not to to put words in Paul's mouth he defines the first husband as the law, the second husband as Christ, and us as the woman. And 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 what you can see, big picture, that's that's being accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is that God is making a way to free us, the woman, from a, a, um, a husband that is. Ruling us, let's just say in a bad way, let's just call it a bad husband, and to join us with a good husband that will care for us in a new way. And so I would say the one thing to add and to try to bring some sim- simplicity to it is that we know um, that Christ um, fulfilled the law on our behalf. And so in his life and death and burial and resurrection, he accomplished the requirement of the law for us. And so in in that sense, um, you know, the the law died. So we'll come back to that. Let me read these last three verses. and We'll just open it up for this question. Our last two verses in verse five, because this still adds a little bit more clarity because I don't think I'm leaving it with super clarity at this point. But in verse five, it says, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit. There's that word fruit again for death, but now we are released from the law having died to that, which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Um, so, this, to me, I would just say is, is, is the hardest of this whole section to, to teach um, because of some, of some of these things I pointed out. If you didn't notice, I did cut out one part, and I'll tell you the reason why, is in one, I said the question is, or do you not know that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? The actual verse says, or do you not know, brother, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as, as, as long as he lives. That's an a intersection there that people have used to try to say that this part of the text was only written to the Jews. Um, some people will deal with the book of Romans and anytime it says those who know the law or other keywords like that, they will say it's just speaking to the Jews. Um, And I'll just, I'll leave it with, I think that's absolute nonsense. That's why I left it out, uh, because every bit of this is some of the most precious gospel-centered scripture that we have. And so I felt like the question was just more upfront and straight, or do you not know, brothers, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Because that's what we're really dealing with at this section of the text is realizing that we are bound um, to the law outside of Christ and inside of Christ. We're set free from it. Um, and I think that's the most important thing to take away. Um, so I'm gonna open up to you guys. Any thoughts or
1: questions or concerns? Um, you, oh, you on me.: I don't hear you, Paul. All right. When I
4: read this in the past, it kind of made perfect sense what he was trying to get across about, you know, we're no longer under the law; we're under grace now. I never really had trouble with that, but when you ask that question in the text, you know, who is the first husband who was a second husband who was a woman. I started kind of thinking through it. It didn't really make sense because, um, I mean, obviously the new husband would be grace through accepting Christ, but the law, had, the law hasn't died. The law, you know, it's, Jesus says no uh, jot or tittle of the law will be changed. So the law is still there and it has its purpose to convict uh, sinners of their unrighteousness and point them to Christ, the new husband. So I was like, well, well, man, it doesn't really make sense if I try to attach certain things to this other than maybe that the, that the, um, that the um, first husband is um, our old man and the second husband is our new relationship with Christ. So, so I said, all right, well, I'm going to pull out some commentaries and just get some different backgrounds on it. And pretty much everything I read in several different commentaries said it's, It's really not supposed to be a direct illustration type uh, analogy. It's supposed to be just an example that leads you to what I already kind of got out of reading it the very first time years ago. Um, So you can't really necessarily attach, you know, exactly attach a perfect illustration of who the old man, who the first husband, second husband, things like that. Um, But it was just a well understood example of know we're not we are no longer bound by the law if we're in christ uh we're in grace in the new covenant now so yeah i think i think
0: verse four where it says so that you may belong to another i think you know why there's a little you know questions there i think that's the, the main thrust of what he's trying to get through with his analogy
1: Was you finished, Paul? I'm sorry, I wasn't... Yeah, pretty much. Anybody else?
4: Like, like, even like some of the things I read said that, that some people when they first read this study think that Paul got confused here because you can't... But it, all, all of them pretty much came to the conclusion that it's not supposed to be a, a direct illustration that you can really say who exactly, you know, was the, was the first husband, the second husband, who was the woman, but it's just an example to show the change and that you're you're no longer under the law, penalty of the law because we're now raised with Christ. The old man is dead and the and the new man is living under grace in union with Christ.
3: Anybody else? Yeah, I was just going to share the same thing that Paul just brought up. Um and I think we see this with parables too of Jesus. You know, he'll tell a story, uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And if you get too particular and try to marry exactly pieces and parts of it to a physical story, you know, and sometimes it just don't fit. So you just got to step back a little bit and take, okay, what was the intent of the not not try to, you know, uh, make it make it work perfectly. Um, I I think we see that with several parables um, and and you just got to be careful with that. So I I agree with uh, what Paul is saying, that it's not a perfect picture illustration um in the sense that you know you know with the first husband and the second husband I I think in summary you can say that the first husband is your your relationship to the law or your covenant to the law versus your covenant to Christ or you know I think before this it talks about you being bound right like it's it's you're you're within this covenant or you're you're bound to something um and and the you know by default we're bound to the law and then uh, when, when that death happens, it's not that the law died, it's that our relationship to the law died, then you can be married to another one, which is our relationship to Christ, our covenant with Christ.
1: Right. So that's right.
4: That's, that's a good way. Because I'm saying we're actually, and if you try to do an illustrative analogy, we're kind of the woman. And then the husband is two parts of us, the new nature and the old nature. The old nature, the sin nature is bound by the law has died, not the law hasn't died. And then our new nature has been, risen, been brought on here, like risen up. You know, our old nature died, our new nature was risen with Christ. So it's almost like you can fit, if you're trying to make a direct illustration, you know, we we would be all part of those the wife and the two husbands all kind of fit in with us and Christ and the law fits into those as well, the husband part. So, so it, it can be confusing if you try to break it apart like that, but the meaning has always been pretty clear to me.
3: Yeah. I think another example too is um, where Jesus said, you can't put new wine in old wine skins. You know, the, the new wine needs to go in new wine skins because there was a fermentation process that would happen right? That if, if you put new wine in a new wine skin, that fermenting would happen, which would cause some expansion, right? It would, it would have this hardening effect to, to stretch that wine skin to its limits. But then if you took that old wine skin now and tried to put new wine into it, and it went through that process again, it would, it would expand and it would burst and both the wine skin and the wine would be ruined. So um you know, I've heard it said that the the law versus grace, or the old covenant versus the new covenant. If you try to mix those together, you're going to have a problem. And and I think we see that we see that with Galatians, right? That as someone comes to Christ, because that's we're good about that. Like, come to Christ, and then if we're not careful, what we try to do is put people back under the law. That's what was that Acts 15, I guess, the big debate that happened. Galatians, you know. Uh, don't try to finish what will start finishing the flesh will start in the spirit just that whole argument that is consistent throughout the new testament we see that and you just got to be very careful to to put the law in its rightful place and put the new covenant of grace in its rightful place and not mix the two together
0: what you think jeff you got anything are you busy You might be busy. Well, um, I'll just I'll highlight one more line from what just listening to you. Um, you know, he says in verse four, likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law. So this relationship to the law, and I think that's what one one of you said, you have died to the law through the body of Christ. And what's not said there that I think. Um, makes sense is we we want to bring to the equation that god that christ accomplished the requirement of the law on our behalf and 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 he because he says so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead so the purpose of the analogy is to show you how you were once bound to a particular husband that you needed to be set free from and joined to another. And so in that verse, he's, you know, if that law is your husband, if that's the only way of righteousness for you is to accomplish that law in it in its fullest extent, and you can't do it, you're bound to sin and death in that situation. But if Christ comes along and accomplishes that law on your behalf, and so... I don't know if your wordings are any different, but mine actually says you have died to the law through the body of Christ. So it's not saying that the law is dead. It's said, you know, and I think that was the word we used. Or one of you did is that that your your relationship to that first husband has 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 died so that you can be joined to another relationship and a second husband and that second husband accomplished the requirement of the law for you.
1: That's right. Yeah, one one other thing. About, but it's ahead, just
4: not a analogy because in the second part, he says, brothers, you have died. And in the first analogy, the the one that died was the husband. Right. Well, we're not the husband. Though. I mean, we're not supposed to be the husband here. But like you said, it's a relationship. So like I said, it's, it's, I think it's clear to all of us what he's saying here and what you just said, but I think it's, it's tricky sometimes when you ask those questions that you asked in the first part, it brings up good conversation, but it, it doesn't really match up mm. perfectly because it's an example, not a direct analogy. Right. So. But like I
0: said, in what we're doing, this is the most challenging, but this is a transitional piece. Um, as we move into the next one, you know, because for me, in one sense, just logically, I thought that the first husband would be the the sin nature, and then you get a new nature, um, and so he's clear that that's not what he's addressing here. He's addressing the law, not the sin nature, but what he's fixing to get into is the sin nature, and so it, it'll all tie in as we continue down through this this journey. Um, but. Okay.
4: I got to get off y'all because we got a thing at uh, breakfast at church. So yeah. I'll listen to the podcast and get the rest of it.
1: Okay, um, hey, Brother,
0: appreciate
4: you. Yeah, it's good stuff there. Y'all have a great good week. Yeah. You too.
0: Okay. Like Jeff, Jeff jumped off too. Yeah. But any final, well, he's jumping back in. Let's see. <laughs> Jeff's jumping off back on. Let's see if he gets back on. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think that was most of what – let's see. He's still – so just any final thoughts? Um, let's see what Jeff
2: – Hey, Jeff, you there? You any thoughts?
0: Just listening in?
2: Yeah, just listening in. My internet's kicked me off a couple times. Sorry about that. So you got anything,
0: Shane? What did we make it muddy? Did we make it?
2: Yeah, no. I, I was thinking
1: about what Mike said with the uh, old skin and new skin, and you know, verse three. I don't know if you can correlate both of them, but when it says you'd be called an adulteress if you live with one man while uh, the husband is alive, so I guess that's you can't you can't do both at one time, like you were talking about then people come to Christ and then pushes the law
0: and that's pretty much ending that right there yeah well what what I'll add live a little bit and just give you a little bit of what really touched me is um I'll just give you a quick story and it's not going to directly relate but but there's a reason why he used husband I mean we don't fully understand that culture and you know and you know, it, it is. But but I'll just I'm going to tell you this story as I was studying this the other day and I just felt like God spoke to my heart. And maybe it'll be helpful to you because we're all fathers and husbands. But um, the, a, a couple of weeks ago, my my wife and daughter, my second daughter goes to the market. She has some sewing stuff that she does and she sells it at a market in Zachary. Well, my mother-in-law, I think most of y'all knew, hurt herself and had been down in the bed for a while. She messed up her back, falling and stuff like that. And so her car hadn't been ran for about three weeks. And so she asked my wife to take her car to the market just to, to run and make sure everything was was going good. So she took the took it to the market. And um, some kind of way, someone winded up opening their door and 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 damaging the door the door to her fairly new car. I guess it's a 2021 or something like that. But anyway, but the person came and, and, and found out whose car it was and told them, you know, Hey, I did this, you know, I want to make it right. Well, uh, my wife was handling that. And, and one thing led to another, she went and got a quote and the guy said that was too expensive. He wanted her to come to Baker, which we're in Denham. That's 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back. And she said, I live in Denham. I just come on Saturday I don't want to do that. So she went and got another quote, and it was like one one was five seventy, the other one was four hundred or something like that. And um, but anyway, what happened was uh, he just just felt like we were being dishonest or something like that, and he wanted to meet us at the dealership and hear it from the the dealer. He wanted to pay them directly and all that. And I I have a rule that you just don't do business on Saturday and Sunday on the weekend. You know, you don't at least send him bills and stuff like that. Well, he texts Sunday evening um, that that he didn't feel right about sending us a check that he would meet her at the, you know, the dealer, just tell her time and all that. Well, my wife had already lost two or three hours, you know, just to take it to a place and get an estimate and stuff like that. She had already lost a couple hours, you know, from this. And I'm gonna tell you, just Sunday evening, and him dilly dallying around with my wife, and I've seen her deal. I've seen her go through this with, um, with things like insurance and stuff that we've had to deal with, with estates and houses and stuff like that. And man, something just rose up in me, and I just said, "Enough!" I said, "Give me your phone," and I I called the guy, and I began to have a a, a friendly heated conversation with him. But I asked him. You know, I I basically told him. I said I'd got to the point where I was like, I don't need the guy's money. He's stressing my wife out. He's invading boundaries, and and I basically told him I said, look, you could have hit the car and you could have just went away and been done with it, and no one would have ever known, and we'd have had to deal with it ourselves. But you wanted to do the right thing, and you came and told us, and you know, we're just trying to get the car like it like it was. And I, and I, and I basically, you know, told him either do the right thing or don't, I don't care. I don't need your money, but you're not going to waste my wife's time like this and have her Caliban all all across town at your beck and will. know, I was like, she's my wife. She's not your wife. And, you know, and my point is, is I like, as I was studying through this, and this is what I want to say about it. We said, we're the woman, right? and we were bound to a bad husband. But you know what? In salvation, we're bound to a good husband. We might have been bound to a bad father, but in salvation, we're bound to a good father. And we are to, to, when we're conforming into the image of Christ, we're to become a good husband by being like him. My dad walked out of my mom before I was a, a fully a year old, and My mom died when I was 13. And how did I learn to be a dad? How did I learn to be a husband? My mom was married twice for less than a year of peace. How did I learn that? And I learned it by Christ living in me and by looking to what kind of husband Christ was to his church and what kind of father God was to us. And my point, and I wanted to share that story is because the world will take advantage of your wife and your children. The public schools will take advantage of your wife and your children. The public. We came across something. I came across something with Hope right now. She's at Healing Place College. And there, it was something about dating where basically my, my daughter's issue, her, her matter of whether she's going to date or not is between her and her parents. It's not between her and her youth pastor, and it's not between her and her, her, her college she's going to. And whether it be a, a church situation or whether it be a public school, people are taking um, uh, positions of authority that are not their positions of authority. They're not the position of the husband. They're not the position of the parent. And so I give you that example is this guy, is to some degree or another a Christian, but he called us on, he, 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 um, invaded the sanctity, if you want to say of our house on Sunday evening about playing around with money, you know, and he messed with my wife. And like, even I was upset with what these people were doing with my daughter and her personal life. That has really nothing. That they're dabbling in something that has nothing to do with their business. But my point is, is back to the text. Is Christ is fighting for us, and and outside we talk about abiding in Christ. When we get in Christ, He is defending us from from the devil. And and I and I guess maybe one other point I'd I'd make is this. We, we say that, that we fight against the devil, the world, and our flesh, and I think probably the biggest force is not the devil, and it's not the world, but it's our flesh, because we accuse ourselves. As we get into the next part of the law, the law is a mirror that shows you that you're not perfect, but when we look at that mirror like Adam and Eve did, they they were naked and unashamed, but when they ate that tree, they clearly looked at that that mirror, and they saw they were not perfect, and they were ashamed of themselves, but what God did was he clothed them, and in the gospel and in Christ, he clothes us, and it says in 8.1, therefore, there is no condemnation in Christ. The type of husband we have is one that protects us not only from the devil and the world, but he protects us from our own self-defeating language that we say, So I guess my one point I would say, and I'm probably making it well, but we say we're not good enough. We say we're not worthy. We say if we almost say sometimes that if God, why would God forgive me? Why would God do this and that? But when we think about our life and when I think about that story is our wives and our kids are weak in certain areas and God has put us in a position to protect them, to protect them for people that would cross boundaries that that God has put you in place to, to steward. And the one thing that we can be confident in with Christ is when he's on the watchtower, when he's there being the husband for us or God, the father for us, we're being protected even from our own self. And and like I said, I don't know if I'm making the point clear, but what I, as I was praying and studying over this, probably the most impactful part of my study was God just told me people do not know who they are in Christ and they're beating themselves up and they're not because what the purpose here was that what Christ did was so that we could be joined to another and that it said Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law. Sometimes we don't realize we've died to the law. Mike Pitt, um, mentioned about bringing the old covenant or mixing the old covenant. We try to pick it back up. We try to remind God about our sins that he's already separated from the East is from the West. And what we have to realize we will always be weak. My, you know, hopefully I'm always stronger than my children and my wife. But God put us in a place as men to protect them in the same way He's put Christ in place to protect us. And so I don't know if that little spill is is of any advantage to you, but it's it's something that really kind of got in my heart, and I thought I would share it since we had a little little extra time.
1: It's good.
0: Uh, yeah. All right. Um, who opened us in prayer? We did open in prayer, huh?
1: I, uh, yeah, I did.
3: Okay. Mike, you want to close this? Sure. Mm-hmm. Father, we just thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for how much you love us. Thank you for um, your rescue plan from uh, delivering us from what we were previously bound to, God, and uh, bringing us into a covenant relationship with a good father, a good, a good husband in this case, Lord, and, uh, someone who loves us and, and cares for us and protects us. Lord, what a, what a uh, awesome example that you've given us, um, spiritually and, and you've called us to do that physically for our, our kids and our families and our wives. So Lord, we just uh, pray that we would take these things, hide them in our heart, Lord, and, and help us to, um, follow you like never before well, thank you for dennis and and just his commitment to you and and, and to your word In jesus name amen all
1: right. all right
0: guys hope you have a good day it was all right thanks it was pretty yesterday just cold huh like
1: another yeah. day, just like that yeah so, all right y'all if right. you anything thanks